that's how I play and find myself in places like the Stephen Colbert show. I, I mean, I find everything equally challenging. And I find like there's something new to practice with each gig. Or if I don't find this new to practice thing with the gig, I'm, I'm not really fulfilled. So it's yeah. like, really yes, it's like a exactly. perspective and outlook thing. It's like all about your attitude. Like you have to, you have to find the new thing. This is back to my rebirth energy thing. You have to f- constantly look for a new facet or you're going to just become jaded. You have to stay consistent in staying fresh. Welcome, everybody, to the Faking, Faking Notes, Notes podcast. podcast. Podcast, podcast. We're back. We're back in the house, Julia Danitz. She is a wonderful violinist. We originally met in Brunswick, Maine at the Bowdoin Summer Music Festival back in 2010. I've known her for 11 years. It's actually the same uh, same year I met Daniel. Uh, we, we met at the same festival. And since then, we went to Juilliard together, uh, and I am, I was immediately struck by her amazing diversity in her skill sets, her knowledge, and her interest. And I think there's so much to learn and gain from listening to this episode. She really is the Julia of all trades. It's crazy how many different types of music she's played and even beyond that, just as a person, she's interested in learning. She has this phrase about consistently growing, like consistently trying something new every week. She did the Juilliard Columbia Exchange Program. So we got political science and added on a minor in business. Uh, music and political science was not enough. So she's just constantly growing and, and learning and evolving and has just this immense global perspective. She goes to Tanglewood and plays in the Silk Road Ensemble Project and gets to learn about all other sorts of music. And so she goes out. She's continuously collaborating. You've seen her everywhere, including uh, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert playing Mm -hmm. along with John Batiste. Wow, what an incredible musician and incredible conversation. And so what I really think is like super important to take away from this episode is just listening to her, the way she thinks and understanding her mental models when it comes to approaching your art and staying consistent. And, and there, I just find this to be such a fun conversation. So if you can subscribe and review, we read the reviews on this podcast. We read the reviews every day when we wake up. No, we just scroll down the list. And then I cry myself to sleep <laughs> reading the the reviews as well. It's, yeah. it's it's beautiful. So we start the day with five stars, end the day with one stars, <laughs> and then cry ourselves to sleep. But And also if you want to like, you know, make memes with us, joke around with us, come to our Discord channel, uh Faking Notes Podcast. If you want to support us with your money, help us continually build this podcast and and hopefully build our team. Because uh, we have so many ambitious ideas, but there's only so many hours in a day, only so many dollars in the day. Uh, support us on Patreon Patreon, if you want to see us continue to grow this and, and add more content. And 
we now have a YouTube channel that is live mm-hmm. posting full episodes, video episodes, clips, um, everything. So if you if you miss if, if there's like an episode, you just don't have enough time to listen to the full episode on on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Go to the YouTube. We have clips of our favorite highlights. Um, you'll it, it's an even more distilled version of this show, and you can grab the gems on the go. But without further ado, all of trades, Julia Danitz. Julia Bennett, thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure, and I'm thrilled to be here. How you How you feeling? How you, you feeling? Okay, it's been a minute since we've had a chance to interface. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing well. Um, I'm on this like, I'm on a rebirth energy kick. I'm trying to like reprioritize things and do stuff that makes me exist as a wholesome musician. You've come to the right place. Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to rebirth here. We're all about rebirth. Well, it's, and- it's because of the pandemic, really. Like, I feel like the pandemic let let me know what was being exacerbated in my life, um, where my time was going, where my energy was going. And now I feel like it's 2021 going on 2022. It's time to, like, reprioritize. Can you like, can you uh, walk us through that a little bit? Um, I'm curious to hear like specifically, what are some things you're wasting some of your time on that you're like, wait a minute, let's roll, let's roll it back. Um, Well, I am a huge educator in this city. Um, When I first graduated from Juilliard, I was like, how am I going to make the bread and butter of my life work? I mean, we have to take on teaching Mm -hmm. and I do love being a teacher and it gives me great structure, but I mean, after, you know, the pandemic, we had so many, so much like zoom after zoom after zoom, I would scramble to find time to juggle performing again. Mm -hmm. Once the pandemic was sort of subsiding and plus teaching, I just had to cut back. And that's like a risk, but happy to take it. I mean, I also have, I'm also a DMA student at CUNY at Graduate Center. That's right. Oh, and then I'm also like, I'm trying to start my own. I am, I started my own group called Sonora Collective with Katie Althin. And we have some projects coming up. Actually, where I'm going to go later is to an art gallery. (laughs) I spend a lot of time in a lot of time in art galleries because I want to unite like music and art to have like a greater realm of art and like a bigger effort of collaboration between the disciplines. That's awesome. We want to we want to dig into because we're going to definitely want to hit on like the collective and like what goes into yeah, sure. the process of doing an ensemble. But let's let's keep focusing in on this rebirth because <laughs> almost everyone we've talked to, of course, it's a shame that it that it, you know it had to come from such an an awful, devastating pandemic. But we're gonna we're making something of it, and it seems like this clarification 
and this refocusing. And after years of teaching and a, I guess a year and a half of education, in fact, it's, it's a lot of energy. I don't know if everyone like fully understands just like how much time and effort goes into that mentally. It's exhausting. Uh, how do you decide in this cutback, even within that edu- education sphere, is it a balance of like, wow, I really love this student or wow, it's just money and time or this program, not that program. Like, how did you pair it back? What was the calculation? Um, it's a combination of both. It's like, does this program align with my values? Is it keeping me fresh? Like I'm really into like every week I want to do something that keeps me fresh. Student wise, is this student also putting in the effort that allows me to like facilitate them to going to the next level? I don't know what their perspective is. Um, Some of them are going into high school or they're beginning to like think about college and their future. And I teach like New York City kids that are really um, mature Mm -hmm. and they understand how the world works. And that's sometimes very fortunate because they understand like what a level of preparedness means, but it's also like a little bit of jadedness that comes with it. But I love fostering these kids. Um, (laughs) I live in Chinatown. When I first graduated from Juilliard, I was, I joined Harmony program. It's a nonprofit that provides outreach for underserved areas, outreach and free music lessons. And Mm -hmm. so I inherited a class of 19 students. (laughs) Yeah, because the teacher had just quit. And I I mean, I had to really hone in on my managerial skills and turn that class into something (laughs) with shape. So I have some private students from there that I, I adore. And, you know, they've been with me since 2017. Around then, wow, mm. yeah, but it's a long and then time. I, I I became like a faculty mentor in that because my students were starting to like max out of the program. Mm. Um, like it became like, how do we get every class, like Julia's class, that she put these standards on these students to like memorize pieces, and you know they're playing in this group called all stars that the program created, which is a collaboration with the New York Phil. How do we get more all stars in our program? So then I transitioned into being a faculty mentor, which meant that I would have to travel to an assortment of places in New York city, which I liked doing because again, that like helped me stay alert and fresh and was like, piqued my curiosity because I always wondered, oh, what is this area like? And what are the kids Mm -hmm. in this area like? And you can really see the disparity in just New York City. That's so true. It's kind of wild, like, just depending on where you get off the train, like how different (laughs) some of these programs are, like just in such a short distance, a very relatable story. Some of the programs I'd work with, um, Oh, sorry, like the New York Phil, like the Young Composers programs mm. uh, and in the public schools and just depending on where you go, the stark contrast. Yeah. Yeah. The Manhattan side of the L to the end of the Brooklyn side of the L. I'm like, this is this is uh, inequality in a nutshell. 
Yeah, I mean, I was a political science major when I was an undergrad. I did the Columbia Juilliard joint degree. And it's, it's like the study of power and inequality has always fascinated me. So I guess no wonder why I gravitated towards something like Harmony Program, which seeks to give opportunities to those that would not have them, regardless of the uh, income status they're at. That's so interesting. Like that, honestly, that little tag you added about, you know, your your Juilliard Columbia exchange and being a poli sci major because of your interest in this idea of power and inequality. Like, I'm really curious about hearing some more, like, what did you really learn? Like, while you were there? Yeah, what are some things you learned? I love when musicians ask me this question. Um, (laughs) Because everyone's like, so you went to the other side, you were with normal people. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So what is this? this? Um. To sum it up in a nutshell, it's really like you've got to have the resources. If you want power, you've got to have the resources. I mean, there's all this like stuff about pork barreling and super PACs and all this stuff. But like at the end of the day, the person that wins is the one that is coming to the table with the most. Um, You could liken this to in war. You can liken this to like... um, how certain legislation gets passed. Um, Definitely, you can liken this to, like, environmental stuff. My focus, yeah, my focus was actually a little bit of the environment and international relations and diplomacy. Um, But I I quickly learned that because you need, you, you just need to be the one with the resources to get anything done. I added on a business minor actually really yeah most people don't know this about me i don't know yeah so the business minor i think was interesting because then you know there's classes there were classes like accounting and business strategy that i thought were cool um a lot of psychology social psychology classes i think i don't know sometimes how to say if my education really paid off, but it it gives me some sort of veil into the world where Mm -hmm. I, where I can rationalize why certain things happen a certain way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then then as a performer, you, as someone who's trying to like, you know, make it, make your big break, you can kind of find solace in the concepts that you've learned. Is there something particular? It sounds like you described it because with business and politics and diplomacy and resources, those all sound very useful to a musician. (laughs) It's all these things we need to know about, right? Was there, are there some major takeaways that come through or is it all from a kind of conceptual zoomed out version? I would say the zoomed out version helps on the micro level. I mean, politics is a substitution of one thing for another. And you have to remember that in like today's culture, that's constantly happening. Like one day you're just 
one day something is in and one day something is out. Mm-hmm. It's just sometimes the way the pendulum swings. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to like resources, can you um maybe like kind of illustrate like like uh, uh, the musical equivalent of like people who have acquired resources because like the first thing that came into my mind when you were saying that is like settlers of Catan. I need to get me some stone. Gotta get my personal sheep. strat. I'm oh. the sheep. I'm the sheep yeah, cartel. Yeah. Open sheep for sheep. Cartel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trade for stone later. As a freelancer with like such a varied life. I remember it was kind of like survival mode when I first got out of school. And I feel like I'm in survival mode or maybe I'm in like a different survivor mode 2.0 because of my rebirth energy. Mm -hmm. But it's like, how do I just simply get the students, get the resources? How do I get the gigs, the wedding Mm -hmm. gigs? Like, let me, let's just start there Mm -hmm. or playing on the subway. There's no shame in that. Do you like, do that? I did that when I was fresh out of school. I played with uh, diverse concert artists. Oh, yeah, I didn't was, know that. Okay. Yeah, it was like Midtown East. I did that. I, I did like some busking in Central Park. You know, you're young. You're like willing yeah. to do anything. Yeah. And I think this yeah. willing to do anything is important too because people will call you and they will help you with the resources. And then at some point you want to take your resources and invest in something else, um, whether it's you and having more me time and like self-care, which is so important, or maybe just another passion project. Which leads me to, that's perfect segue. See, you're a natural, Julia. Am so I? Collective. Oh yeah, girl, come on. You're crushing this. So. Oh. <laughs> The Sonora Collective is—is is this like kind yeah. of part of this rebirth energy where you're like, I'm going to invest my time into yeah. building something? So, can yeah. you talk about the formation and like the story of how you and Katie Althan put together this collection of musicians and composers to try to solve a problem? Okay, well, the problem this brings us to the dark period of when you graduate from conservatory and you just wonder what am I going to do like I don't have an like I don't have a schedule like I want to keep I personally think Sonora Collective provides an avenue for like talented musicians and composers to keep performing and it's for people who also want to keep working from a place of performance who it's for people that want to keep practicing. Like when I graduated from school and was like gigging and doing sessions and doing X, Y, Z ensemble or orchestra, opera company, whatever you want. I was just, I just kept wondering if people really practice at that high level. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, that (laughs) hyper-focused borderline obsessive level to get something done. I just, you know, I was always wondering like, And then I also had a fear in me, like, I don't want to get to that point in my life where I have nothing to practice for. And then I'm not going to wait for, like, a gig to, like, give me music to practice. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's part of why I wanted to get a DMA. Like, there's so much more to know. There's so much repertoire. It keeps me humble, you know. It's, like, constantly climbing 
a mountain. Again, another way to like stay fresh. But Sonora, like, I realize there's so much supply of musicians, great musicians. Mm-hmm. Some that might be like too timid to even realize they're great musicians. Um, it's not not everyone knows that they could be at the top. They just, I don't know, some people just hide away and kind of, they go the orchestra route, which I think is great too, because that's a whole other competition. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so the problem that I wanted to solve was we have all of these great composers, all these great musicians, probably from age what is it like 24 mm-hmm. to forever <laughs> but especially that <laughs> age where you're like right out of school trying to build your schedule mm-hmm. um how can i make this like compassionate collective that seeks to like bring performers into new spaces and then widen audiences i mean i didn't think it was such a far-fetched idea because the like art visual artists are constantly having people view their art. Why don't we just combine venues? Mm. So like we can pull, we can each pull from different audiences, and then you get this like expanded experience of the arts. And the museum is such a natural fit for music because often it sounds good. It's already staged. <laughs> they already have chairs at most of them. <laughs> So you don't have to bring it. Like well, I hosted, yeah. I guess it depends. New York might be different, but when I was out in Colorado this summer, hosted a couple shows at like the Museum of Boulder. Like the person we partnered with, we were trying to find business relations just out in the city, and the person who we we clung onto the most and who kind of became like an advisor was the like director at the Museum of Boulder, uh, and put on some like great sold out concerts. And most of those people don't go to concerts and go to the museum <laughs> and they're already used to viewing art. They're already donors to the concert or, or to the museum. They're already interested in it and you have a nice, beautiful backdrop. It's not just a curtain and a wood floored stage. You know, there's yeah. art, you're surrounded by art. It's such a, it's a great it's fit. It's like a cool event and you can tell people about it. Like, Hey, you're hitting two birds with one stone. Come to this thing. You, I promise you'll like some component of it, whether it's visual or oral. Um, I mean, I do sometimes think music needs a visual component. Sometimes it just does. Like some people just hate going to concerts. We have to face that reality. I think it's, I, I mean, this is like maybe from a jaded perspective, not saying I'm jaded, but for maybe someone that's jaded, it's like, Oh, another concert. Oh, what's going to be different about this concert? Oh, there's just like a few composers that are different. But in my case, Sonora is like we pair a composer to the art gallery, to the exposition exhibition that the art gallery is putting on. And we try to talk about the music in a way that relates to the gallery and the music because it's not so far-fetched. Like, we're going to put on a concert where the uh, exhibition is focused on texture. Texture is something you can definitely, it's an avenue into talking about music. I mean, 
there's so many directions you can go with that. I'm sure as a composer, you resonate with that. And the thing I really like, even just from the production side of things, putting together an experience, we can see now out in the real world, real world examples of people paying top dollar for the experience. They're not necessarily Mm -hmm. sold on a concert. When you look at successful concerts that are getting people to show up, they're not advertising it even as a concert. It's an experience. Come experience something. And when you show up, there's just a bunch of candles everywhere or <laughs> there's, it's in an art museum or it's in a bar and it has drink pairings. And it just turns out people like uh, <laughs> they, they like being catered to. They like enjoying the whole thing. Um, when Even if the music is just the most standard Beethoven Mozarts that they could have gone and seen in a mm. concert hall, the fact that it's in a new location and it's not necessarily being sold as, hey, here's Beethoven and Mozart. It's being sold as this is a great night out and you're going to enjoy this. It goes such of so it goes so much further than you would traditionally expect. And people love it. And that's how you get different audiences. Airbnb doesn't it's not called Airbnb events or Airbnb, whatever. Like it's Airbnb experiences. Am I going to any of those? No. But that's a billion dollar company <laughs> who titled it experiences over anything else because we like that. I want to have a good experience. I might not care as much about just the music. So I think it's it's great what you're doing. And it's, it's really smart because it's two birds, one stone. I love how you said it. You're going to find something you're going to like and that you can relate to. And I think you, when, when someone's describing, oh, I'm just going to like some classical concert. Like that's not like a super compelling thing. Even the most classical musicians who have degrees in this stuff. I can't convince, you know, someone off the street to come to this, but I'm like, Hey, we're going to go do this. They play in the dark. It's really cool. They're going to show up and they're going to brag about that thing. And they're going to have a wonderful time. It's it's really smart what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, it was a challenge during the pandemic because we started like right before we started March 2020. Oh, yeah. There are a bunch of art galleries on my block and I just walked into one and I was like, hey, I made a collective. You guys are an artist collective. Let's let's be two collectives together. And they were like, yes, this is exactly what I want. And their like furniture was cool and it was like all puffy. It was, it was <laughs> the exhibition was called Puffy. Everyone sat on the floor. It was mm. cool. It's it's also loosening it up a little bit. Mm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think this is something that I just have to fight classical musicians with like swords and bows and arrows with like when it comes to this, our culture is so stuffy. Yeah. I mean, maybe this means when you program, you don't program the whole work. Maybe you do like the two that you think might be the most ear catching. Um, Maybe this means you throw in an encore that's popular maybe this means you program something that doesn't really get programmed and it's really unique for a chamber group. Or you put in a new work, you blend in a new work with a cutting-edge composer and it's it's well-received by people that don't necessarily um, love classical music, but they love the concept of new art. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, new music's great. I just last week volunteered for a class called new music lab Mm -hmm. where uh, composers are trying to like 
get their violin microphone, uh, multiphonic on. <laughs> you are a brave soul. I know. I learned very soon after going to Juilliard, don't do composer stuff, especially because it's what? just like sometimes, sometimes it's the hardest. Like it hurt my feelings how hard some of the music was. I was like, do you, <laughs> do you hate me? <laughs> oh, but your job is also to like inform them. Yeah, I, I wasn't it's confident. It's like a give and take. Dude, it's impossible. <laughs> it's like a give and take. Yeah. I mean, I sometimes learn something from a new work that I also learn at a pop music gig. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah. I didn't know rhythm could be written like that. Mm-hmm. Or I didn't know I could feel the groove in this way. Mm-hmm. Or like, I remember also, so when I also graduated school, I was going all the way out to like Bay Ridge, Brooklyn for these like macam sessions, which is like Middle Eastern music. And I was like, I was just trying to keep my life varied, really. Um, And now I'm like trying to learn some jazz numbers. Ooh. So going that direction too. Yeah. But I'm, don't worry. I'm practicing Mozart five concerto. With, <laughs> um, actually, this is, I guess you could say this is also in a varied way with the Kramer bow. It's a transitional bow. Hmm. So I'm even going Whoa. backwards. Wait, what, what do you mean? I don't know what you mean by transitional bow. Oh, you like before the tort bow that we use and like the Baroque bow, there's like that period of late galant style classical really era. yeah the bow has very many iterations is it more like curved or whatever like is um, it a higher arch or yeah it is a higher arch i think the term is like camber your bows um camber differently you know, like I, you know, the Baroque bows were like convex, and then we yeah, made, yeah, they made its way to concave. And I'm in a, I'm playing with a transitional bow that probably would have been around in Mozart's time. What, I mean, what's different about it? What's different about you it? You know, like you can do spiccato in the upper third of the bow. No way. <laughs> and the way, it, yeah, the give of the bow is different. Oh. The ribbon is thinner. Yeah. It's like a sweeter sound in general. You don't have as much space. There's no reason to force. It it, it feels a little smaller, but it sings beautifully. But I mean, if you can't force it, I'm out. Like, I'm a violist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, I got to get that sound. <laughs> It's it's a sweet it is a sweeter way of looking at it. And it reminds me it just reminds me of Europe. <laughs> You've been. Yeah, I love times. Yeah. I actually this summer I went to um Austria. <gasps> and I experienced Vienna and Vienna is I think if you're a musician, no matter what genre you're from, you need to go to Vienna. Literally the city of music. Yeah. I mean, there's posters of violins everywhere. It, like, warms my heart. (sighs) I need to go. I feel like it's it's been calling me forever. Also, the sushi is really cheap and really good. What? What? Yes, this is a fun fact. 
Tell me, tell me, why, why is that? I think it, comes, like... it must come from Italy, the fish. And I think maybe they're not obsessed with sushi in Vienna. <laughs> just wait. Wait till I come there. Yeah, and wait, wait till supply. we, all us Americans, just land there. Yeah, just, just, oh God, just a then. bunch of American musicians playing concerts and then going and getting sushi after. We're going we to revamp the market. Avocados yeah, start showing market. up. <laughs> Avocados. <laughs> I'm curious, Julia. So you've, you're playing all of these different types of music, new music, uh, Middle Eastern music. Now we're learning jazz. Yeah. Um, historical Mozart performance, like working with the Silk Road and doing all of these other things. The late, the late night show with Stephen Colbert. It's crazy. Yeah, Silk Road inspired a lot. I have to say that was, I met the global musicians workshop with Mike Block at Tanglewood summer 2016. And it was like the most natural, easiest thing dealt to me that summer because mm. otherwise it was like, I don't know, sitting principal on some symphony or like learning some Beethoven quartet quickly or like new music week. The improvisation of it, like playing music just by feel and ear, that was like a new exercise for me and I loved it. Um, and I want to continue in that direction because that's, basically the core of music do it by feel of fear and emotion and then well Stephen Colbert gig so I I played on this background during the pandemic of a Melania video uh Melania Trump video about her it was about so there was like a skit how do I call this a music it's a music video okay Laura Benanti uh playing the role of Melania and she's singing like about how she misses New York and she's excited to leave the white house. So I got that gig because John Baptiste recommended me for that. And I had played with John before um, and worked together with John. And that's how I play and find myself in places like the Stephen Colbert show. I, I mean, I find everything equally challenging and I find like there's something new to practice with each gig. Or if I don't find this new to practice thing with the gig, I'm I'm not really fulfilled. So it's yeah. like really yes, out, it's like a exactly. perspective and outlook thing. It's like all about your attitude. Like you have to you have to find the new thing. This is back to my rebirth energy thing. You have to f- constantly look for a new facet. Or you're going to just become jaded. You have to stay consistent in staying fresh. I think that's one of the most powerful things you've shared with us is it's because like, you know, for, first of all, learning what we do is hard. It takes forever. But once you kind of get a handle on it, like then it, it, it's often – the case and you see it in orchestras you see like people you see orchestra musicians how many of them are filled with joy when you go and watch one of their concerts well i hope they are otherwise it's a bad orchestra yeah look but see that's the thing in 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 the orchestras that there is a lot of joy is because there is like a new conductor or there's a new piece or they find ways like you said (laughs) or they're paid a lot you know but i loved what you said about you know, learning new reasons to practice. 
I wanted to, before we got too far away from it, I wanted to hear like what you're pra- like, how are you practicing jazz? Because like, I'm, I'm currently like, just like listening to seventies Japanese music and oh, just cool. like learning the solos. Like, um, so I have a jazz cat friend. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you call jazz. Yeah. People. Yeah. Call cat. Meow. <laughs> I know. When I first learned that, I was like, wow, what a different culture. Yeah. <laughs> um, basically, we go through a standard. Um, he marks out the chords. He writes the melody out. Or we, or together we sing the melody and we've tried to f- or and fiddle around. I fiddle around trying to extract that melody. And then, I mean, I thank God that I know some theory because otherwise, how do I improvise? So I try to do generally what's in the confines of acceptable music theory in terms of like, okay, <laughs> this is a half diminished chord. Maybe this note should be in that measure that I am improvising on. Um, it's in, I am in the baby stages, just letting you know. I, I am. Don't know no, I am too. But I mean, then it's like trying out different rhythms and different double stops to see like what sounds good. Like what does it, what sounds good to you, which could be a little bit judgmental and harsh from someone who's trying to be a perfectionist, which is the opposite of what jazz is about. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm having fun with that. That's like, that's like the new thing that keeps me playing the instrument, like taking it out of the case. But you know, I do, I do love my classical stuff. I, there's a feeling of fulfillment when I can play the intro of Mozart V concerto with good bow distribution. I mean, it is probably because it's so ingrained in me. It's why I went to Juilliard. It's like why we're trained to do what we do. Mm-hmm. And then I find like a fascination with then teaching it to someone or maybe applying it to like pop music or some other gig where I never thought I would have to think about X, Y, Z technique, but it's how I get through the gig and keep myself entertained. And I, I'm learning. I, I think about that too. Like the checklist of like what, what it goes into like selecting, like what you're going to work on or like, Oh, should I take this good? Should I take this project? It's yeah. like, at least for, yeah, for me, uh, like, you know, there's like a kind of a checklist, but like number one, is like, will I learn something from this? Number two, what's the time commitment? And then number three, like, what's the money? And like, it needs to check, you know, heavily check some of those or check all of those. Yeah, uh, I kinda, yeah. I know. I recently took on this this dancer found me. Um, this dancer who runs a dance collective. Everybody's into their collectives now. <laughs> <laughs> um, she found me to play at her show. And the dancer wanted to play Carmen. And I feel like I easily could have just printed out an orchestra edition. But then I was like, you know what? At this age, I'm going to do what seven-year-old prodigies do and play the fantasy version of it. So I played. Let's go. I, I learned Carmen fantasy in like two weeks. And Whoa. I was like, okay, I think my brain is working. <laughs> I think my fingers are moving to what my brain wants and my ears directing me. I mean, 
it wasn't the highest paying gig, but there was like a real sense of fulfillment. I mean, it's just about, you know, constantly finding mountains for yourself to climb. There's a great phrase I heard recently, like about mountains and like people at peak performance. I don't know the exact quote. I'll have to learn it. Uh, The mountain only supports life on the sides. Like there's nothing, there's nothing really up top. It's up snow. Where are the trees on the mountain? Like there's this Mm -hmm. line. You're always working and progressing because when you're at the top of the mountain, there's, there's not much else there. You're just there. There's nowhere else you can really go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have mm-hmm. to constantly keep spinning yourself somewhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, you might achieve X, Y, Z thing, but I think a lot of people who do achieve X, Y, Z thing, like let's just take even Michael Phelps as an example. They they get depressed. It's like they are burning themselves out. Maybe they enjoy the burnout part. They enjoy the, the achievement part, but then there's like the hangover later. And then you you've got to find ways to redirect your energy. It's that's why like what we do is so valuable, Julia. It's creation. We create yes. things. Art is about creation. And I think um for me personally, like creating things makes me happy. Creating this podcast makes me happy. Making YouTube videos and yeah. Instagram videos. That that shit makes me happy. Um, and I would also say that like one thing that's like super that I try to tell people, but they always fight me on it is like perfection is the enemy of good, good enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm a perfectionist. I, I, mean, I am whether, too. Whether we like it or not, if it was naturally yeah. induced or environmentally induced, I, I think this like in a city life perfectionism is like unavoidable it's like constantly we're constantly thinking of like more efficient routes to do things Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. but you can't you can apply that to music maybe for a technical standard and maybe to a musical aesthetic you're trying to evoke but it feels so machine like like I think we need to create a culture where we accept more imperfections. Like we accept, like people should post more out of tune videos. Like it's fine. You can. Have you been to my page lately? (laughs) You at me? Are you at me right now? We can get the sense of your musicianship with, you know, two or three notes, not perfect. I, I think we're really we're in this like cutthroat culture only classical mm-hmm. musicians have and then maybe people who are like academically really rigorous have or just everyone but we we have to learn how to like accept imperfections and reality and it's amazing when I see like the younger generation play or when you watch the Olympics and you watch the like younger athlete it's mm-hmm. like they're scarily per- they're scarily so good and it's just it keeps getting better and better like i'm sure the standard of julia pre-college just keeps getting better and better those kids are not human they're not human <laughs> i mean they are but like yeah you're right it's like they have this tutelage from the masters from the time they put a violin in their hands you know yeah I mean, teachers keep getting better, better and better. I hope. I like. I mean, I strive to be a better and better teacher each year. I mean, 
I don't try to teach the same way each lesson. Otherwise, I will hate teaching. And a lot of my resources come from there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Though I am, I am trying for my rebirth to perform more. Wow, I'm I miss playing with you. The last time we played together was like, it was like June 2018. Oh, for WQXR, right? The WQXR uh, show, and uh, it, I literally after our performance, I had to go get on a plane and go to Japan. And then we <laughs> saw with- you. I saw yeah. you in Japan. Yeah, that's right. Uh, with Jocelyn with and Liz Jocelyn. Skinner, we yeah. went and got ramen. Yes. In uh, in Tokyo. Dang, girl. That that was like, that made my whole trip. I was like, I actually, there are friends here in Japan right now (laughs) while I'm chilling. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I was doing a quartet festival. It was called Music Masters Course Japan. And it's run by Alan Gilbert's family and friends. And that's, I would say that really whipped me into shape. I mean, it was like eight hours a day of quartet and like maybe two coaches in the room at the same time, giving you their perspectives on what they think the music is asking for. Um, Yeah, I have to say I was doing this for a while where I will spend some of my earnings to reinvest in lessons with people. That's smart. That's a really good idea. And that's something that I don't know about you, but – there's this weird thing. You get that music degree and you're like, oh, I've spent my whole life taking lessons and learning from stuff. And oh, good. I'm done now. I've yeah. done it. You know, like we're all done. I got the degree. I'm a master of music. And then it all kind of ends. But you see those people who are still taking it to the next level, who are those lifelong learners. As we know, as the research shows, they still have mentors. The best golfers have swing coaches. LeBron. Has yeah. Sp- coach a shooting coach like they know that but there's this weird thing in music to where we just stop maybe it's financial maybe it's time maybe we're we're ready to go but it is kind of amazing to see how we clearly accept that and expect that in in sports and other peak performance things michael phelps has a coach he's the most decorated athlete in human history and the dude has a coach like come on like come on it's so what what is your is your strategy? Are you going to try to find like, are you going to go to some sp- specific people or find a mentor of sorts, the sole person? How are you, you know, going to go about this? In it your could even be your friend that you trust that has been having a sort of musical vision that you feel you resonate with, like just playing for people. And I think playing for people is a good idea. Like you want to go into some ensemble, maybe you find that person, a person in the group, show them you're playing. Maybe this these days it's by video. You can like easily judge because everyone, I mean, hopefully everyone has videos of themselves playing. Or now we're back into in person. I think I think constantly playing for people keeps you on a sort of edge that's healthy. It keeps you keeps you in shape. I mean, it's back to like when I was graduating from school and and I still gig and I just wonder if like people practice and they like, do they really practice? Do they practice? Like, are they just bringing their instrument out for a few scales a day, which is totally fine and healthy? Or is there like a piece they've decided to work on? 
or is there a part in their ensemble that just gets them every time and they need to score study that's you know mental practice is a real thing or are they working on their posture because you know as we get older our bodies can't play as well as they used to so I went through a phase of reinventing my posture I went to like Alexander technique every week and as I'm slouching over my mic like a gremlin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah. actually, there was a period of time I wasn't taking lessons, and I was just taking Alexander Technique privately. And um, that elucidated a lot for me. I was like, oh, so this is how I should feel. What have I been doing twisting my body around? The sound is not as good. Um, I look worse. I'm harming myself. Like that's that's another way to just keep your life varied. I don't know if I'm gonna run out of ways one day. I hope not. But I I do think everything that like staying consistent starts with you, like and your instrument and your relationship to your instrument. Or like for a composer, it's like, are you working on anything? Are you spending the time to actually actively write something? But that's a whole other story. Mm-hmm. it's a very similar story it's it is very similar in that uh i mean i just really resonated with what you said i love that you mentioning like consistency consistency of trying something new to be consistently learning and to prioritize doing new things and for me with that checklist if i get a call and they want the same thing uh over again i, I say no i'm not interested which is very normal in, in film music so and so makes cool. a horror film so-and-so makes a horror film and they're like, hey, we want this. And I see you've done this before. So I'm like, eh, not really interested. You can delegate. Uh, yeah. You, and then I can hand it off and it makes someone else's life easier. But you see definitely in, uh, I mean, in film music too, because it's, there's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of like, you know, typical like corporatism landscapes to where you, they don't want to take a risk with the person or, or really the music. When they're when you know someone's like go out and give me the superhero movie, they're they're not there to explore. They might say, "Oh, we wanted something fresh." Um, that is a lie. They didn't. <laughs> they're like, "I want the person who's done the last fifteen most successful superhero movies and mm-hmm. get them in my office right now, uh, and and let them do do something fresh," uh, because they they need that guarantee. You know, money's on the line. Like they want to know someone can deliver. They don't want the score to not be there. So I kind of understand that risk. But we have this weird risk aversion, particularly mm-hmm. in like the States and in entertainment and in art. Who do we award all the awards? The winners who've won other things. Like it's yeah. very rare. Every emerging composer award is never a surprise. Uh, this is their year. They are cleaning up shop this year. Yeah. And because they won this, because no on no ensemble, no groups want to take that risk and and go out and pick a stinker so what we do is we start oh, awarding the winners i don't which is such I a big don't love that oh yeah, yeah at all terrible yeah. it's it's comical it's so um and then everyone diversity yeah it's a missed it's a missed we opportunity a huge supply of talent constantly and i i hate to see like people dwindle off. Like sometimes you go on Facebook and it's like, hi, I'm going to XYZ school now, or I'm doing blah, 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 boot camp now. And you're like, damn, you gave up already. Mm-hmm. Like, but 
at least for those boot camp, the thing that sucks is with this pan, particularly like going like programming boot camps and stuff like that is I hate that for some of them, it's like the situation yeah, forced them to, and they're looking, really yeah. Or sometimes they, yeah. they really want to, someone has a crisis about what they're doing and they are jaded and they can't find fulfillment in what they're doing and they're not creating and, or maybe they are creating and are just hitting a wall over and over again. Or maybe they're not happy teaching. Like you have to do an assortment of things and be okay with like some of the assortment not being exciting. But then you have to find your own way of finding the exciting, fresh thing. And for these, a lot of these people going in to these, you know, computer programming and things like that, like, a good portion of them that might be the best thing they've ever done and the creative fulfillment that's going on before we saw a recent wave, you know, partially mm -hmm. triggered by the pandemic or the environment. One of the more memorable conversations I had with our old Juilliard uh, colleague, Louis Cruz was oh, when shout out, he was bro. going to leave. He's one year through the Juilliard DMA and this, mm -hmm. he's one of the most academically bright people I've ever met in my life. Mm -hmm. Like this is, he, you know, the G word, he, he might actually be that. I've never seen anyone retain <laughs> information like that. Um, so it not, not in a hy hyperbolic sense, but I remember talking to him, getting a coffee and I was poking him about some new commission that it turns out he didn't even get <laughs> his big news. He wanted to tell me and wanted to catch up on was that he's leaving Julio DMA one year through wow. one more year was preventing him from his dream of, of being a software developer. He loved it. It was, Great. he was, he was moonlighting as a software developer. He would go to work and like, you know, put in the hours doing music. But the key point for him was that I could tell that was music wasn't his creative. That wasn't the fulfillment. Of mm -hmm. course, he's going to have, he has like a high house now outside of San Francisco. Things are going well financially. That part worked out <laughs> of the equation. He's doing all right. But he's, he's doing all right. But also you could tell by his decision, he had mentioned the weight off of his shoulders. He's like, I've been doing music all my life. I've been putting so much energy and like all the pressures and stigmas come with it. He felt creatively fulfilled. Yeah. Mm. Moonlighting as a software developer. Once midnight hit, he was up late programming away and algorithms, his mind, his mind for music and composition and creating structures and all these things um, directly went into this new field. And so I've seen some people like that where I'm like, heck yes. Like I want artists out in the world working in other fields i think that's that's great and for them for some of some of them that is their like consistently learn something new because you're never done there either there's always a new technology knocking on the door yeah yeah i mean i think there's i think actually taking breaks is so healthy i mean i've had i've had like months where i didn't practice and then would start up again i mean you have to be Shut careful up. you don't want to injure yourself but mm -hmm. there's there's always a down period and we don't talk about it enough and it goes mm -hmm. in line with mental health and taking care of yourself like there's like the working towards something burning yourself out and then then you have a down period of not much going on and then you all of a sudden feel on top of the world because you got all these gigs hit at you it's really an inconsistent life and you have to have really tough skin to deal with it. 
So you need to find something to keep you consistent. Maybe it's like exer- it's your routine, like exercising or something academic related. Uh, it could be, for, for me, it's the academic related. I think that keeps me honed in. Like volunteering for a new music class actually kept, was the most fulfilling thing I did last week. Like just being able to help composers, that that was really fulfilling. And that keeps my energy going to the next week where now I'm talking to you guys. Then I have to go organize how to, I have to go produce a concert, organize, me and Katie have to organize ourselves and we have to go produce a concert. And then I'm also trying to stay on top of learning the music for the concert. I'm trying to stay on top of learning Mozart Fifth Concerto because orchestra auditions are back up and running. And why not take an audition? It's like entering a competition. Of course, it's all about testing yourself, right? And I think that's an incredible theme that's been woven through the tapestry and the quilt of this conversation. I I, I think what's really unique. So, so, you know, there's this one Kevin Kelly quote that keeps coming back uh, and we've kind of like danced around it. It's uh, kind of like having deadlines is really important, right? You know, so you have this deadline for producing this concert, you have a deadline for this audition it, it, a deadline weeds out ex- the extraneous and the ordinary. It prevents you from trying to make it perfect. So you have to make it different. Different is mm. better. And in marketing, this is something that I always, like in all the marketing books I've read, this is the same little nugget. It's like different is better. What's really different about Sonora Collective is how you reach out to businesses for a complimentary concert proposal like you'll you'll provide mm-hmm. them with a mood yes. board and musical works can you talk about like how you came up with that because i think that that sort of feature that you guys have is so sticky i think it's really monetarily it has a lot of monetary potential especially for businesses that let's be frank a lot of their music sucks like a mm-hmm. lot of business jingles suck and they could do with like a rebrand and a revamp. So can you talk about like some of those services and like how you came yeah. came up with that? Yeah, I would say it's like a boutique service for sure. Okay. Um, for now. <laughs> huh. Uh, I, I see it growing. I can see it yeah, re- being really I mean, big. We go into a – we're inspired by this space or we're inspired by like what art is hanging on the wall. Something mm-hmm. bright. Okay, we think to ourselves – what is written for XYZ instruments that is short and sweet or what composer has that kind of palette? What, what is something new that they definitely will never find from Google? And we, we have our composer colleagues um, showing us what is on their SoundCloud. So that's how it started. We started mm-hmm. with SoundCloud and then we we're like, okay, what era does this place remind us of or what composers does this remind us of or what season is it what music even goes with the season that we're trying to have a concert during you know and then we also keep stock of like what's trending like what composers are being played at the met what composers are being played across orchestras um so we want to 
keep that 21st century thing alive. But we also like to draw on old classical works. Like, they're as good as new. One of the things we didn't get to talk about earlier, but obviously a big selling point of an art gallery is the curation. And I love, now I use that word all the time for what I'm trying to describe when I'm talking to a business or some production company, a non-music production company about putting on a show. And I'm like, hey, yes, we're going to choose the music, but curating that experience because that it's such a big art to itself. You kind of see that in, in programming, but wow, I paired like, yeah, I paired like a piece or two together isn't quite as special as, okay, I paired this piece to the art on the wall behind me. I paired this piece to the lighting of this building and like curation is such a beautiful thing because uh, I mean like the art, it's, it, it can be in the same frame, but how you light it from different angles, where it goes in the space is of course an art unto itself. So I love this art and this like curating of experiences that you've got going on. It makes it more special. Sometimes it's like the artist's message too. If they have a message about Mm. healing and getting, easing back into life, we think of what music is evocative of that. You know, it's like certain catchphrases that the details that we can use to then make something broader. I like the adaption too, because I I gave the like poo poo downside of like sometimes the necessary conformity in a film because you need to deliver for that film. But the reason I like really like doing film is that forced variety. So the reason I say no to similar projects is because I want to do the new project. Now it's tough when they're like, "Hey, can you send me you know some examples of like what this sounds like?" And I'm like. Mm-hmm. No, the reason I'm doing this is because I haven't done this and you're going to get something like special and unique. Um, That's tough. But then again, like when it's working with the director, Mm -hmm. very much like working with the museum, I'm walking into their film, their vision, their museum, and they've got a lot of stuff in there. There's a lot of lights. They're all very expensive lights. There's a lot of images. There's a lot of storyboards. And then it's like, okay, how can I curate this? Like, How can I put in sounds? that are going to make their museum the way they envision it and like take it to the next level. Well, then it's the level of you then reach something called collaboration. So we like to say we mm. like collaborate with art museums or we collaborate with mm. artists. My I mean, word. true collaboration is difficult. I mean, like even like me collaborating with a dancer, do her moves make sense during my cadence, you know, like, or is, are they evocative enough? <laughs> That's true. Collaboration is hard to have because like, sometimes it's 70% act one thing and 30% one thing. It's really hard to get a 50, 50 matchup, but when that happens, it's great. 60, 40, even I'll take it's the it. best <laughs> yeah. final offer. And producer Daniel is like, that's why Yo-Yo is such a goat. You know, one of the the things that I've learned, you know, just like looking at history, it's like our civilization, like our art, everything that we are as human species is due to collaboration. Like if you had to make your own clothes, farm your own food, build your own house, 
like crank your own electricity generator. Like we wouldn't get anything done. Like, like let's be real. The productivity would be so low. I think the fact that we're able to do what we do is because of collaboration. It's not like art collaboration, but what I mean to say is like the nature of collaboration to your point is it's, it's not even additive. It's multiplicative. It's exponential. And so when you have those rare moments, when you can take an idea meld it with something else, the, 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 the creation that comes from those two different realms is greater than the sum of its parts. And so that's yeah. why I'm so fascinated by like what you're talking about, like pairing art. The other thing that I wanted to ask you is like art tends to bring in like a, a high net worth individuals, <laughs> right? Depends. Um, it depends. Can you, can you, what do you mean by that? Are you saying like who walks through the door and purchases the People art? People who are buying fine art, right? They tend to be high net worth individuals or am I ignorant? Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right about that. Do you think that's a, f a future possible pipeline for art patronage in the future by like, I mean, just like music patronage? Maybe that's a, n a new way we can build. Uh, our fan base for people that could support our institutions. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's a new avenue you can take, or new newer. It's not totally unheard of. I think generally people who love the arts just they love everything about the arts. They're like mm -hmm. fanatics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What uh, the reason why I was kind of like leading is like you know, as you're taking these orchestra auditions, right? And you're making yeah, connections. Yeah, I'm gonna take one. I'm gonna take one. You you gonna, you uh you uh, uh can you tell us where or are you gonna keep that on? <laughs> it's can where it's where you're from. It's where you're from. Where I'm from. Let's go. Ooh. Okay. Hey, so if you're coming out here, you want let's get coffee. No, no, no. You're from Georgia. From, right? from Georgia. Oh, or origin story. It's one of even, my favorite. Okay, even Daniel my picked origin. up on that. No, nah, okay, no, nah, I did not. I think I'm from LA at this point for some oh, you reason. You <laughs> I mean, yeah. There's such a craft to playing so many genres and types of music. I can't wait, actually. It's going to be refreshing to take an orchestra audition. Hell yeah. When was the last time? Oh, man. Probably fresh out of school when I graduated master's, like 2016, 17. It's going to be so neat mm -hmm. to see the progression and just like the mental space and part of this rebirth. Like you've played so many different types of music and have so much experience to bring to that old process. Music yeah, really is music. Curious. Music is music. I've cultivated, I and my colleagues have cultivated skills to play like Paganini. Where are we going to play that? Maybe at a Sonora Collective concert. Um, <laughs> maybe at, maybe we're going to record it and try for something. Um, excerpts, why not? That's just another facet of something I can do. Um, I mean, though it might sound like I keep myself busy, I also want to say that it's really important to take breaks. 
It's okay. I don't to know do when it. you do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I. Sometimes you need to just go on social media and like scroll through for an hour mm-hmm. or two. <laughs> maybe you gotta. Maybe you gotta find inspiration there. Yeah. yeah. That's such a good point is that the idea of taking breaks and it's something that, I mean, all of us on this call are like having to actively figure out what that's like. But again, looking at other high performing individuals, every athlete, every sport has an off season. They could be playing through that, but they'd get injured. They get burnout mentally and physically. Uh, and also all those off seasons, like, here's the thing I didn't think about though. It's like, okay, you're on the season, then they're off. Okay. Show up next August for training camp. We'll get you back to shape. Like, no, all those professional athletes, the off season has a lot of structure. It's just different. You're performing at a different level and hearing from, there was some interview, I think it was on like Ryan holidays podcast. Uh, and he's interviewing, uh, like an Olympian, uh, mountain biker and she was just fascinating young won some world you know world championships but didn't perform well at the olympics and it was talking through a mental process of like what happens when like you've done everything right and you know you don't get it and that's where they were talking about the mountaintop and the process and even for these athletes these high performing athletes you know they're we're always like ah keep going so she would go out you know their trainer said her her coach was like two hours I'm going to go out and, you know, put in two hours and she goes for three and she's like, yeah, like I killed it. I'm on top. I'm the best. And, and she goes back and she talks to her other professionals who've been in the business or trainer. They're like, no, you don't. It was two hours for a reason. You have to have that rest. Your job is to not peak now. It's to peak during the Olympics. Peaking now does nothing. You can't keep going. And she had also mentioned the hardest part for her is the off season because it doesn't feel like you're working towards something, but your process is thrown off. You spend all this day cycling. You need to love that process to, to sit on that bike all the time. But the importance of the off season to work on something else and to have that off season, uh, somewhat structured, maybe the structure is, Hey, it's okay. I'm going to scroll social media from, uh, 7 to 8 p.m. I'm going to scroll on and I will, I'm allowing myself, I am forgiving myself for what might seem like you could put some other, you know, get back in the shed and, and put in some more work or learn something new. I'm going to allow myself to tune down to have that off season. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, if you're in a period of maybe low work, that's actually the best time to do it because then, I mean, you're sitting there thinking, what am I going to do with my time? What am I going to do with my time? But why don't you just look at it as like a time of constructive rest and then, you know, delve into your own thing that you want to be fascinated by. And then before you know it, it's like, go, go, go. Yeah. That's what my last couple of weeks has been like. I, I'm finally past it personally, and now I'm like, "Oh wait, two weeks have gone by. I don't know who I am." And now I'm like, "Oh yeah, I'm Drew," and I'm like a human with needs, and I need to exercise because I'm getting a little bit of a, a belly. I need to my, exercise, bro. 
Wait, did you just say you came from a go 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 time? Yeah. 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 Did you did you ha- did it happen for you too? Yeah, I had a go 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 time, and then I was like, wait, where's where is everything? <laughs> where yeah, like it's... wait, what am I doing? Am I cleaning my apartment? Yes, I'm cleaning my apartment. I haven't done laundry in two weeks. <laughs> yeah, I know it's. Yeah, it's hard to stay consistent in the little things, but you got to do it. They all matter. I wanted to, before we wrap it up here, Julia, I'm curious because like during the pandemic, during like this period that was like an off time for many musicians and I'm no exception, I started like getting back into reading books, like, like hard, hardcore have you picked up any books recently that have kind of like changed your perspective have been really Um, additive to your life yeah i have right here the body keeps the score yeah can you talk about it a little bit well it's called the subtext is brain mind and body in the healing of trauma it's basically Mm. studying patients and how patients who have ptsd and how they approach the world and what they view as threats. I'm only like two chapters in, so I, I'm reading that. I also bought a book called Crying in H Mart because I think um, <laughs> a lot of the I love that title. It's a great Asian title. American population in 2021 felt the hate crimes on a deep level. And like the question of Asian American identity has been brought to light more and more in these recent times, which is cool. I never thought I would see the day. I'm half Asian myself. So I have to read like Leopold Mozart's violin treatise, you know, like I have to do, <laughs> I, I just went to the library. Mm-hmm. See, this is how I, this is another variation of my week that was a highlight. Going to the library, pulling books about 18th and 19th century articulations because I have a dissertation meeting tomorrow. Um, <sighs> Your doctoral student. Dang, you are busy. Holy crap. I thought I was <laughs> no, like. I'm, I'm dragging my feet on the dissertation. <laughs> it's been a. I, I mean, it was go, go, go when I had classes and exams, but now it's like I'm in the driver's seat more and I can decide what to do with my time. I can decide what students to cut, um, what gigs to take. I did regret saying no to a, like a electric violin gig because I thought, oh, that might be fun. Play some yeah, But it was just, you know, Time commitment was too large. Pay was too little. Weird time. I think that's something a lot of us who are fortunate enough to to be in this position, but we're all a couple years out from Juilliard. We've been, you know, grinding away, working away, learning away, adapting, surviving, and then getting to this point where we have choice and realization. Wait. I don't have to do that gig anymore. Or even if something's high dollar, I don't have to do that gig. I can choose. I don't have to take on this this particular set of students uh, just to get by. Sometimes you do, though. Sometimes you do. Depends yeah. what you want to buy. Depends how you want to live. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
but the choice to do so. And I think the realization that you don't, you don't have to do everything, um, that you're always going to have to learn. Uh, and then just simply, even for me, like, uh, I think it's comforting to be kind to yourself and like allow yourself to say, no, wait, just cause all the other composers were, you know, care about this thing or getting this type of gig. I don't actually like it. Like, why would I hold myself to that? I don't even enjoy this particular type of thing. Or um, even the, yeah, like the flexibility to go out and do what you really love. Uh, We talked to a really funny um, guest, Tom McGovern, great singer-songwriter, gigging musician. Every night, piano bar, every night, cruise ship. He's played hundreds of gigs. Went and saw him perform live. Absolute killer stage presence. Wonderful person. And he was talking about the fulfillment he gets from making, in his own words, dumb little videos. <laughs> He's on TikTok. He's got a great following. He loves doing sketch things. But for him, he was like, wait, I want to when he's given more time and more flexibility from either higher paying gigs or perspective or whatever, that's where he wants to put in his time is his videos because that's what brings him joy. And it's also a long-term investment. So that's just something I'm finding more and more that's kind of inspiring is when given the opportunity, simply the choice, not having to take on everything, allowing ourselves to schedule taking breaks. And then this newfound, rebirth and perspective are there any particular tips in kind of planning or executing this rebirth you're going for how should they go about it is there any words of wisdom you can share well i think you should one day a week do something that you didn't do the last week Mm, i love that and it could be something small like cooking a new meal or like running a new direction if you go running or um, calling a friend that you haven't called in a while. Um, but, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm a pretty goal-oriented person and sometimes it's just like all I need to do is make a to-do list that has something a little bit different on it and that's how I stay fresh and that's how I feel like reborn a little bit no task is like too daunting i mean if it is take a break (laughs) like what you said about like just the the to-do list you know putting something on there that is different and keeps you fresh i think that's like the perfect bow of our entire conversation because we began that's how you began our conversation talking about being reborn and 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 keeping your life fresh and, and having new perspectives, new goals. And I think that that is the most important actionable item is like a, of obtaining that freshness in your life. Put something new on that to-do list every single day. Something that's going to push the buck forward in one direction or another that you care about. I mean, it could be going to the supermarket and getting a wild card item you never got before. Eggplant. Let's get it. <laughs> <laughs> Cut it yeah, thin. We all we all need variation. We can't we can't do the theme too often. We need themes uh, and variation of the theme. Producer Daniel in the chat recommended the Carolina Reaper. Uh, be very careful. Uh, like what? 
how much variation you add. Uh, use a small portion of variation in your <laughs> with the, the be careful it's with a pepper, the peppers, right? folks. Yeah, it's like one of the hottest peppers in the world. Oh. So yeah, be careful. Be yes. careful with actually, yes, be careful. Sir, yeah, read read the label on your variations. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean everything's on a spectrum. <laughs> Julia. Yes. Thanks again for coming through. This oh, has been awesome. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. Seriously. Like I you've been on our list for a long time and, and we're glad we were we why, were why able is to make that? I'm it's curious. We, we, we love my... you. Oh. No, and you're you're Juilliard fam. And we've known each other. You and I have known each other for like eleven years. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So of, of course we have a big list, but like we had, we've had you on it from the beginning. We like people out there doing interesting things with interesting perspectives. And I'm glad we, we were able to hear some of yours today. So thanks again. Thank you guys.